Welcome, everyone, to MVP Talks, brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios here in the beautiful Speak Studios Center, and uh, looking forward to a wonderful afternoon with uh, my co-host here, Renan Pointer. I'm your host, Mark Rippon. Sitting across from me is our executive director, Brennan Pointer. Today, he is going to lead this intro show. So, Brennan, why don't you tell me what we're going to be talking about today? Well, uh, I want to talk about you, Mark. I want to, uh, this show is going to be all about your guests, and uh, I just wanted to make our intro show all about you. It's really our, our one opportunity to really dive deep into who you are, Mark, uh, and the man behind the show. And so let's, uh, I want to, let's learn a little bit about uh, Mark Robert Rippon. Wow. <laughs> Robert Christopher to be oh, Robert Christopher. Like confirmation <laughs> back, in, back in the day when I went to Assumption uh, Parish in, in Spokane, north, north side of Spokane, Washington. That's awesome. Uh, well, <laughs> Wikipedia did not have that. Yeah. They usually don't put just <laughs> preferences in there. Um, Canadian born, uh, American football quarterback. You played 14 seasons in the NFL for mostly for the Washington Redskins. Washington uh, football team. Washington be careful. We don't want to be canceled our show. I, I don't. <laughs> are we going to get canceled if we say Redskins? No, you're not going to get canceled. Played, That's who I played for. Played I for didn't play for the Washington football team. I yeah. played for the Redskins. Absolutely. I'm just uh, <laughs> being funny. And oh, of way. course, of course. <laughs> and and you were the I, you were the first Canadian-born quarterback to to both start in the NFL and to be named Super Bowl MVP. So that's another interesting tidbit about yourself. Uh, <laughs> yeah. And the other thing that's interesting too is that if it wasn't for that guy up in Seattle, their punter. Or kicker or whatever <laughs> john throwing, ryan throwing a touchdown pass i'd have been the only canadian born <laughs> player to throw a touchdown pass in a playoff game or or a football game wow so there you have it that i didn't that's that's interesting so you were born in canada where, where were you from originally I was, I was born in calgary alberta both okay. my parents came from the um, small coal mining town of coleman alberta was my dad was born and my mom was born in a town called michelle natel british columbia mm. which is no longer there it's called sparwood now mm. And um, they met, and, and uh, you know, we had uh, four of the five of us were born in Canada. My sister Shannon was the only one born here in Spokane. But after my brother Dave, who's the fourth in line, my sister Colleen was born. She's the oldest. I was the second oldest. My brother Tim was born in Calgary. My dad and mom moved to, for, uh, for, for work, moved to Edmonton. We had my brother Dave uh, in Edmonton. And um, from there, we, uh, after he was born, it was only maybe six months did we all six of us jump in a car and head down to Spokane where my grandmother was, my mom's mom was uh, living here. And, mm. and uh, at that point in time, my mom started working for Holy Family for where she worked for, oh, I don't know, I think 40 plus years, 35, 40 years yeah. until she passed away like five years ago. Uh, and my dad worked um, mostly in, in uh, uh, for like um, Kershaw's, which is uh, office equipment, uh, mm. cash registers, uh, NCR he worked for and just kind of, not sure my dad really liked work. <laughs> what he was, what he was really good at was getting his kids involved in sports, and, mm. and very grateful for him. He passed away at a young age, fifty-two. My seems like family, my family uh, genetics ended at fifty-two. So when I had my fifty-third birthday, I was pretty happy. My mom's dad died of a heart attack at fifty-two. My dad's dad died of a heart attack at fifty-two, and my dad died of a heart attack at fifty-two. So wow, that's insane. Yeah, so I was uh, I was thinking I was going to die of alcohol poisoning at fifty-three, celebrating my birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that is a that's a that's a lot to live with. To think, you know, the I mean, my my father's dad died at forty-nine, and that was 
super young and my yeah, dad sorry, yeah. stressed about that forever. Like it was just a big, big stressor to think about like your, it was, there's a lot of anxiety. There's a lot of anxiety there. Yeah. yeah. So we all, all three of the boys have made it past the, the 52 mark now. So awesome. we're, I think we're, I think we're better. I think we're a little bit more understand more of what, uh, you know, what, what they ate and their lifestyle was back, you know, 70, 80 years ago where, yeah. where it is now and what we can do for ourselves and make our lives a little better. Yeah. What, what brought your family here to Spokane? Just work. I think um, one of the things, you know, I think that my, my dad knew it at, at an early age, um, early ad, adult age, you know, when he's married to my mom is the, uh, the coal mining environment is, is, is lucrative as it is, as beautiful as it is. It's also a tough lifestyle. You know, mm-hmm. a lot of those coal miners are coming from working, you know, graveyard shifts to coming home to go into the Canadian Legion and, you know, kind of living a, a life maybe that uh, he saw from being around his own family and friends that uh, he wanted to kind of get away from that. And with my mom living here and working in, or my mom's mom living here in Spokane, and they thought this would be a good opportunity. My, my mom's sister had already moved down here with their family from mm-hmm. Canada to uh, Spokane. So it was an opportunity for them to kind of get a fresh start and see where it'd take them. Yeah. What, what was, so when, did, how old were you when you moved here then? I was six. Six? Yeah, or no, five, I think around five. Okay. My, the brother Dave was born, and it's probably, like I say, six six or seven months after he was born that we moved down here. So I was like five years old. I, <laughs> I kind of tell people it's a funny story. I went to kindergarten in Edmonton mm-hmm. and was done with school there and came back here. Went to kindergarten again here. Oh, so, really? <laughs> so I went to kindergarten twice. They held you, know? you back? They held me back. Oh, it's man. It's like, oh, this poor kid, he needs... <laughs> No, it's just because of the way they start. They start a year sooner up in Canada. Oh, so, do they really? Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, a lot of my re- uh, cousins were graduating my same age and a year sooner. And I'm you know, I'm like, you know, this is kind of how they do it down here. So, mm-hmm. we just kind of follow the rules. And yeah. so, I got a double education in, in kindergarten. Wow. Uh, that's awesome. Uh, what was life living like in Spokane in, this, like in the 70s and in early 80s? Well, I think, you know, the it was late 60s, yeah. uh, you know, early 70s. You know, I just... Yeah, it was it was hard. I mean, I, I, it was hard to really compare it to anything else because we thought we had everything. You know, my three brothers and I lived in a room about half this size. Oh my gosh! Two and Tim and Dave were in the bunk beds, and I had my own bed, or vice versa. Tim and I were in the bunk beds, and Dave had his own bed. Just a small little, but we thought we had everything. You know, mm-hmm. and that's kind of what um, you know our our premise was: is we we had each other. Uh, we all sat down for dinner, you know, every night. That was kind of back when you, mm-hmm. you know, you had dinners and, you know, everyone kind of talked about their day and uh, it got a little bit more difficult once we got into sports because people were coming and going, you know, and practices and this, that, and the other. And, and I don't know if you know, both my brothers uh, being Canadian citizens played on the Canadian national baseball team. My brother Dave played in the, uh, the Olympics in Seoul, Korea in 1988 as, oh. a, as an exhibition sport. Um, brother Tim played for the Toronto Blue Jays, um, but he also played for the national team. And he was, he hit, um, a lot of people don't know this, but uh, I'm proud of it to, to tell everyone back in, I think, 85 or 86. He hit a grand, first time Canada ever beat Cuba in international play. He had a grand Grand Salami, Grand Slam home run to beat Cuba 8-7. That's awesome. I think oh, it was eight, in, like to beat them 8-7, like yeah, walk-off. In, yeah, in, uh, in, in, I don't know if it was a oh, walk-off, okay. <laughs> but I think they went ahead 8-7 right, yeah. and then held Cuba in the in the eighth, 8th or 7th or ninth. I'm not sure how many innings they played yeah. back then. But, yeah, I was in Antwerp, Belgium, and uh, I remember it to this day because we were up with the, my whole a bunch of relatives and my dad's came down, and we met in, in uh, just down at the bottom of the hill at Schweitzer, and we were kind of hot-tubbing, just kind of – and we heard the news, and we just kind of had a little party to, to celebrate That's that. That's awesome. Yeah. 
Uh, and my sister, my and my sister, my older sister Colleen was devel- developmentally challenged. Mm. Um, just a beautiful soul. Probably when we went to weddings, one great thing having Colleen there is she was like a savant mm. when it came to relatives. Colleen, who's that? Oh, that's uncle so and so. Oh, that's auntie so and so. That's your cousin. That's your second cousin. It's your third cousin. You know, yeah. she was unbelievable. It was amazing. Um, you know, but she, she she struggled. You know, in, in her life, she went through a special ed program at at Shadle and just uh, wasn't that type of a person. You know, mm-hmm. she was challenged, but she wasn't um, you know uh, mentally retarded in any way. And she's just a, a beautiful, beautiful soul. And yeah. and she's over in St. Luke's right now, and with uh, probably with with COVID, it really it's kind of tragic because she's kind of like the 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 one that kind of goes to room to room to mm-hmm. you know kind of makes makes people's lives feel a little better and and um so yeah so she's uh yeah she's she's, she's up there and my youngest sister Shannon was a great athlete uh she's a volleyball basketball player softball player all three mm-hmm. sport athlete yeah. at Shadle also and my dad coached her and just uh, just you know she went on to play at Spokane Falls um and uh, volleyball there, and her her kids are all athletes. One played lacrosse, and mm. Tyler played lacrosse at University of um, Dallas. Uh, Lauren is getting married this May. Played uh, uh, softball at Lynchburg College in mm. Lynchburg, Virginia. And uh, Cammy, just uh, she's uh, oh, all of them are really bright, but she's uh, outside the fact she's going to the University of Washington. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, she. <laughs> She, uh, she was, she's amazing. She's my godchild too. Okay. So I think, uh, that's the only indifferences we might have. And it's not really indifference. It's just yeah. kind of fun to poke a little fun. She, she, she gives it right back to me for too. Sure. So it's good. So yeah, so we are came from a very athletic family and yeah. just so growing up in Spokane, it was just, you know, you know, I, you know, back in the day it was, it was when the street lights came on is when you came home, mm-hmm. you know, our door was all, we, we never, we went on vacation. We never locked our door, you know, mm-hmm. didn't do any of that right. stuff. It was just kind of that era where you trusted your neighbor and your neighbors were looking out for you and you were looking out for your neighbors. And so, uh, yeah, we just did things, played kick the can. We played wiffle ball in the backyard. We went out to the park and we play touch football, every, except for David. He was the youngest. Everyone was touched, but David was tackle. I don't know why that <laughs> was, his, he'd get clotheslined. And poor kids, heck a lot. He might have developed some of the CTE we're going to talk oh about here for, at an early age, you know, from mm-hmm. being clotheslined onto cement and oh um, at our school, Westview Elementary School, which is actually right directly across the street from uh, where I grew up. So Wow. So just a family of athletes. Yeah, athletes and, and and students, all all student athletes. You know, I yeah. think my my mom and dad um, uh, really um, emphasize mm-hmm. you know the the academic part of it just as much as they did the the athletic part. You mm-hmm. know, and uh, so we bring our report cards home. It was take a peek in there to see what, <laughs> see what's going on. You know, and to find out. Uh, okay, I can show it. I can show it to <laughs> them. And 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 fortunately for all of us, we. Um, we, we ne- never really had any issues with, with that. You mm. know, if you get a, well, that's good. If you got a C, there'd be a little, little, little conversation. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. A little conversation and mm-hmm. say, uh, okay, now you, you know, I'm, I'm not, uh, English was, a, I mean, like a foreign language to me, you know, putting all the, it's funny because I used to spell words like there, you know, T H E R E mm-hmm. and, or no, your, like Y O U apostrophe R E. I'd, I'd spell your, you're the best Y O U R. And, 
um, finally someone came to me and said, you know, when you're signing these autographs and saying you're the best, you might want to put an apostrophe RE in there. You are, you know. <laughs> so it only took me about five years to, of, of doing your. So some mm. of those yours out there, you're the best, Y-O-U-R, are still floating around. But, uh, yeah, so uh, ac- academics, but mostly sports. You know, that's kind of how we lived, uh, kind of how we you know, went through life. Mm. And, and and religious, we were we were you know a yeah. spiritual family too. And you your family was a Polish American, I mean a Polish Polish Canadian, I guess. Yep, Polish and Czech Canadians. So, yes, yeah. we came from. My mom's family came from Slovakia. Oh, you know, and uh, back then it was Czechoslovakia. So mm-hmm. it's uh, she's uh, her family's all from that Slo- Slovakian area, and it's cool because about a year and a half ago I went to. Uh, Krakow, Poland. That's you know kind of where my dad's family comes from, mm. and and uh, just wanted to, you know, dive into my culture there. So I went there just uh, like a couple weeks before Christmas. Spent a couple weeks there, and and you know went to Auschwitz, which is just absolutely tear jerking, but yeah. amazing. And and I mm. recommend it to anyone that gets a chance to go to Auschwitz one and Auschwitz Birkenia. You know the other one. It's just uh, tragic. You know yeah. what they were what what was going on at that uh, day and time and. So I, yeah, my mom's hometown was about 85 miles from Krakow, right over the uh, Slovakian border. And, mm. But it was like a mountainous trip to get there. And I didn't have a, you know, car or anything like that. And there, no, there weren't no buses there. It's kind of in the, in the back country, but it would have been cool to have uh, gone there. And I'm going to do it again uh, when the weather's a little bit better, get a chance to see, uh, you know, her roots and where she came from. But most of her family migrated to Canada, yeah, and a lot of them, uh, you know, I mean, a lot of them that came came to coal mining towns in either U.S. It went to Pennsylvania or Canada. They went to um, the area of uh, where the natural resources were very good, and that was usually Alberta, mm-hmm. British Columbia, where they had uh, you know these coal mines that were operating full full task. And a lot of the migrant uh, people came overseas, um, usually settled in those areas, and and got a job right away. Yeah, so. Graduated from Shadow Park High School. You must have lived on the north side, near there. Yep. Uh, and and while you were there, you were a three-sport athlete in football, basketball, baseball. And in your senior year, you were an all-state selection in all three of those sports, which is amazing. Like, I, I, I think it still stands today. Well, and I was, and I wasn't, I, I, it has I, I don't want to toot my own. <laughs> I was all-American in two of them, too. Yeah. And I was like a, a parade all-American in football. I was a, like a honorable mention all-american in basketball believe mm-hmm. it or not I, baseball was the first sport that i ever got uh, you know first first sport that was ever introduced to me i think it was three years old and up in canada my dad put a mitt in our hand mitt was bigger than i was mm-hmm. you know and um you know but i just couldn't hit a hit or throw a curveball you know <laughs> so i remember i remember pitching legion against ryan sandberg he hit one and i think Yellowstone Club or Yellowstone Park is probably the only park it wouldn't have gone out of. <laughs> wow! <laughs> and uh, so I loved love baseball, but mm-hmm. I just wasn't as good as my brothers. And I don't think I was as dedicated, you know, because they they were very specific, you know, and they they knew where their their uh, bread was going to be buttered. I really didn't. I just kind of played all. I hated football. Hated football. Really? You know, I was you had to tackle kid. You know, se- once seventh and eighth grade is when we started tackle, mm-hmm. and I was a skinny little kid that you know I played quarterback on my seventh grade team and and defense alignment because I was tall you know mm-hmm. and that and I just get blocked and hit and it just I would cry like every game and eighth grade I played um linebacker and quarterback and I wasn't very good linebacker obviously I didn't didn't like to hit anyone and <laughs> that's just not a real tough guy you know mm-hmm. and uh in fact that's one of the things I think I I 
um, I look back on it. I've never, never been in a fight in my whole life, you know, and I think my brother Tim spent a lot of time going around and, and, and making up for it for both Dave and I. Dave and I are kind of the, I wouldn't say lovers, but we're the guys, you know, the peace, peace settlers, yeah, you yeah. know, and such. And um, so I think that, uh, you know, um, you know, being football, I hated the most. I, I said basketball, I loved. That was my, I think that was going to be my sport. Mm-hmm. But when you're a six foot four kid with a vertical jump of about two inches, you know, and, um, I, my days were kind of numbered at basketball when it meant to go to uh, further my education in college, even though I did hold John Stockton to 32 points a game. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was right right, <laughs> right, right in that jock strap. You know, I remember, <laughs> I remember playing him, and Dave Robertson, our coach, says, okay, you're going to take him man-to-man. You're going to show him something. <laughs> like after John had like 16 by halftime, I go, can we switch to a zone? At least we can take this as a <laughs> team concept that he scored this many points instead of an individual thing where I think he was averaging only 12 but he scored 32 against me oh my god but we'd always beat you know we'd always beat Gonzaga prep we won this uh, state championship game and I'll, mm. I'll 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 touch a little bit on that in just a sec yeah. but um so basketball I loved and, I, and I'm just kidding about you know holding John Stock in the 32 it might have been 42 I don't know <laughs> but um uh George Raveling I I I, I still he came to one of the games because uh, I was a junior, and uh, Gordon Dixon, Steve Shaganaw, uh, Bob Hutchison, and John Stockton were kind of the four guys in the senior. They were John was a year ahead of me mm. that he came to see, and of course he he you know he loved Stockton and and a couple of those other guys he loved. But he left there, and they asked him, you know, of, of those four guys, who would you, you know, who would you take to, to be a Coug? And he said, Well, that that, that junior kid from Shadle. This is the mm. kid I take right now, so I, I don't know. Must have had a good game or something. To yeah, impressed him. But um, anyhow, uh, that I thought that was a compliment, and I've known George throughout the ages. And I don't know if you know the story about George Ravelin, do you? I don't. Well, no. we can share it on air here because it's it's validated. And um, George Ravelin played basketball at Villanova, and okay. he's like one of the top five or six guys at Nike. He does all that, uh, all the Vegas stuff in Vegas for the pros you know with mm-hmm. those uh other oh, tournament d yeah. d league yeah. and some of the other you know things that they had going on there and yeah so he's very involved in that and you know um but george went to villanova and he was at villanova and he befriended martin luther king's son martin luther king's son asked george if he could come to the million man march and be security at the million man march mm-hmm. and george said man i'd be honored that'd be really really cool so he thought he'd just be out in the crowd, you know, and kind of milling around the crowd. But um, because he was, you know, six nine, heavy set uh, fella, they said, "No, we want you right by the podium here, because mm. you know, protect Dr. King." And so, you know, there's some crazies, you know, back there, and they're still crazies today. But mm-hmm. and he said, "Oh, I'd, I'd be honored. <laughs> what a great thing that is!" So he was just excited about that. After Dr. King was done with his speech, he asked him, "Dr. King, if you get a copy of the speech." Yeah. And Dr. King folded up the original and gave it to George. And, wow. and George still has it. The family's fought to get it, you know. And it's yeah, been, I have read about this yes, now. Yes, yes. Yeah. And so he's just going to give it, you know, when he dies. Uh, because, you know, they're they're looking for profit to mm-hmm. get profit out of it. And George says, no, this is this is something that is, you know, what we're dealing with right now. So yeah. anyhow, so. Uh, that's, a, that's a really, that's an, an amazing story. Yeah, so you heard it here. You yeah. Know, I got some others that are. <laughs> I don't know. Some of them are urban legends too, but the, <laughs> but that one, yeah, that one I thought was cool. And so yeah. to have George, um, you know, say that about me when I was a junior, and then at, you know over the years I said Pullman, 
I got to know him a little bit better. And yeah. he, he still brings that up. He said, I still think you should come out. You know, I go <laughs> get Walden to have you come out. Yeah. Uh, I was going to ask you about your history, like of like state championships at Chato. Like I couldn't really find anything. I knew, I know that you've won a basketball championship, but uh, that's a pretty well-renowned one. Uh, but did you win any championships in football or baseball? No, we, you know, we, we went down to the big, uh, what was it? Big nine or big, I don't know what they are now, but you mm-hmm. know, Tri-Cities, Wenatchee and all that. Yeah. And we, uh, my junior year was, re- we had a really good football team and, mm-hmm. and uh, we ended up beating uh, Kamiakin, um here in Spokane. Mm-hmm. And they were just loaded with, they had probably six or eight D1 players, you know, and they were big, but we were, you know, we just kind of tricked them a little bit. First play of the game, we, we went right from the sidelines or right from our sidelines after the kickoff, right to line of scrimmage, and they're huddling, and we throw a throw an eighty yard <laughs> touchdown pass to our guy running down the sidelines. My that mom, to, mom, and most of the people didn't even see it because you know the balloons kick off the game or going in the air, and she's like, "Oh, look up there!" And of course, we're running down the field scoring touchdown, and uh, so we beat a real good Kamiakin team. Mm-hmm. I mean, they were loaded, and we come back the week later and play Richland, and and um, no, 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 we end up going to Wenatchee. Because Wenatchee won their uh, deal, we played in Wenatchee, and uh, my junior year, and oh my goodness, they were, they were freaking big. You know, my brother Tim's a tough sucker. You know, he's a hundred ninety pound, ninety five pound linebacker, and him and Reed Schaefer and, and some of those guys are just, I mean, tough as nails. Mm. But they're going, they're averaging two fifty five across the line. Yeah, and I mean, they're giving it to one of the Harrington brothers, and they're getting seven eight yards a crack and. You know, so we, I think we hung in there for the first quarter. We were, I think we were up 10 7 or something like that. And they ended up beating us like 42 to 17, you know. Wow. Um, but they were just, they're just that much. I mean, they were, they're men, you mm-hmm. know. And, and we were just a bunch of great athletes that all played sports and all hung out and did all the things together. But um, baseball, we, we went to the Kingdome against uh, Meadowood my junior year. Again, that junior year, those athletes, those junior year, whether it be Kent Schaefer and Vince Kopeck and, uh, John Ben Oss and John Barrington and um, uh, Eric or Brad Scabina, you know, I mean, uh, Mark Cordes, uh, my brother Tim, Scott Burkhart, myself. I mean, it's just a great group of guys, Tom Peterson. Um, we go to state championship. Vince Kopeck was the other pitcher. I had like a point, I don't know, I think it gave up four earned runs the whole season. Oh, wow. My lefty partner gave up like three. So we were the top two pitchers in GSL. We went on, and it was a, your Mount St. Helens uh, erupted, actually. Oh, wow. So we had to have the games uh, move to, uh, even though we were supposed to host, we had to, move, we had to have them move to uh, um, Wenatchee again for some reason. And we ended up playing them there, the same guys that beat us in football, a couple of the Harrington. <laughs> but, you know, I pitched, and, and uh, Kent Schaefer was my catcher, and and Jim Brown, probably one of the one of, one of my – greatest mentors in, in sports he was my quarterback coach and he was our baseball coach and he um we're, we're playing and I'm, I'm just I'm absolutely I must be throwing 90 93 94 I mean and the guy behind the plate was like a uh, a or b he was he ended up umpiring the game but he was doing a and b games and he actually even told our coach I I, I don't know I, I can't see where it's crossing the plate well, when your catcher's holding it, you know, <laughs> and I mean, I'm piping them. So uh-huh. I'm piping them, piping them. Finally, the guy, finally the guy started seeing, we end up beating him, I think, 
three to one or something like that. But our our sophomores, uh, my brother Tim, Scott Burkhart, and Cordes were the guys that <laughs> got hits, you know. And I think as a team, we only hit like 290, but we played great defense. He was Jim Brown was amazing at butting guys over, running the bases, doing the fundamental stuff. And, of course, you have great pitching. We ended up playing Meadowood in the, in the um, state championship game. And, you know, I mean, I in this, it's a six-inning. Uh, we're up, I think, two nothing, and um, and I'm mowing them down. Meadowwood coach is about ready to say, "Oh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna unload my bench, you know, so give some other guys a crack because they couldn't touch me." Mm-hmm. And they had Bart Mackey was uh, player of the year in in the state of Washington as their catcher, and they had um, just some amazing amazing players. And um, so the first guy up that inning hits a ground ball to to my brother Tim at third base, and and he throws it in the it's in the playing in the Kingdom state yeah. championship game. He throws it into the 21st row. In, in oh, my God. <laughs> so the guy gets on second base. So now he's at second base. Um, next guy up, I walk. So this is a six inning. So Coach Brown, he's, he always says he, he shouldn't, you know, he should never second guess himself because it's, I walk the next guy. So he thinks I'm tired. Now we're bringing in a kid that was the best you know, in our in our in our league, Vince Kopech. Mm-hmm. But he's going against Bart Mackey, who I'd struck out like the previous two times. I mean, just looking, you know, I was just I was I was on fire just to be honest with you. And and but I had no problem with it. Nobody and no nobody would, but uh, except a left hander who threw a lot of off speed stuff and was really good at what he did. And anyways, Bart hit a double off the wall and they tied the game and the next guy up hit hit a single. We got out of the inning, we're down three to two. We ended up losing three to two. But mm. um it was just, you know, well, that, that was our state championship game. Shadle went back the next year with my brother Tim. or No, the next year we didn't go back. We lost in, in districts to uh, Moses Lake. It was really good. Uh, I can remember the high league twins. They were they were awesome players. And and then um, uh, Tim's, my brother Tim's senior there, they went back again. They lost again. Mm. But, but anyway, so we just had, it was a, it was a great group of athletes, yeah, you know, at Shadle. Sure. And, and uh, so, but then the big one was basketball. Yeah. My senior year. Mm-hmm. And... Anyone that uh, you know, understands high school sports and especially basketball, each and every year this this game is brought up because one, we're playing Mercer Island, we're twenty seven and two, they're twenty seven and two, and we're thinking, oh, okay, we're the same. Well, their losses were into in a Vegas tournament to Dunbar and Modern Day. You know, I mean, schools that are perennial powers and send probably each school has sent twenty guys to the NBA. You wow. Know? And the, so they lose in, in, yeah. in a tournament in Vegas. That's their only two losses. Only two losses. They kind of go through their, their season in, in Seattle and just we look at the scores, and it's like 81 to 42, you know, uh, 93 to 55. Yeah, I mean, they're killing people. Unreal, right. You know, wow. and so so we're um, we're playing them. So we don't know this, thank goodness, because, you know, how good they are. The internet didn't exist. Yeah, and, yeah, and, yeah, just, yeah. and, and <laughs> Quinn, actually, Quinn Snyder didn't even play. He was a freshman. And they didn't allow freshmen to play at that uh. time. But he was on that team, and or else you know, that might have been the, the difference maker there. So we, I, I end up falling out with about, uh, oh, I think a minute left. And they come down, uh, Mercer Island does, and they're down, they're down two. Uh, no, they're down one. And no, they're not. They're down, they're tied because the guy comes down, gets fouled, and there's five seconds left on the clock. Mm hmm. The guy gets up there, misses the first free throw, so still tied. Makes the second, so they're up one. Mm-hmm. Scott Poole, our big center, who was, um, I think he, until uh, the guy from, come on, the guy from um, Gonzaga, 
broke his not not Adam Morrison, but the other guy that was around that time had the field goal broke Scott's field goal percentage. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's you know, that's where the brain sometimes just <laughs> draws a draws a blank. Anyways, um, so Scott Poole inbounds to Dave Ray. So Todd Pickett did the game. He goes Poole to Ray four seconds three. Two, one, he, he, he won't hear, he, he got it off, and it was a half-court shot mm-hmm. with, like, three seconds left. And the ball falls short. Game's over. No, no. Greg Schmidt was our, uh, the guy that came in for me because I fouled out. Mm-hmm. He caught the ball just in the free-throw lane and released it just at the buzzer. So it was a bang-bang thing. Yeah. Now, what people don't understand is the simultaneous red light that goes around the basket was mm-hmm. not working. There's electrical failure. And this is in the uh, key arena, too. So we're not talking we're some high school. Right. This is in, like, you know, where the Sonics played. You of course, know? yeah. We played where the, uh, the Seahawks played and the Mariners played, you know. So um, he catches it and releases it. Now, what happens is the guy at the scores desk is doing the buzzer mm-hmm. once he sees double zero, you know. So he was the guy that was testifying later on that the – shot was late well you can't be looking at that and see the shot down there you yeah know? so they coach peppel uh who just passed away this uh year and sorry to his, him and his family but unbelievable hall of fame coach in the state of washington would would go on to win like six or five five state championships mm-hmm. um, but that wasn't one of them but he <laughs> did get a mock trophy made that's right yeah and he still i think he's they still have it in their in their thinking that they won. So anyways, pandemonium broke out, but both officials, they show it went like this. The basket counts. Yeah. They ran off the court. Now Mercer Island kids or fans are, and there were, there's 15,000 in this arena. <laughs> they're charging the floor and they're cutting down the nets. We're cutting down the nets. Fights break out. There's, it's a total chaos. You know, it's a, just a, a riot breaks out in the court. We have to be escorted out by the police and we have to get our trophy in our hotel my brother Tim and, and 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 my brother Dave or Dave's like twelve or something like that, and he's getting in fights because Tim's getting in fights because everyone's getting in fights because, I mean, there's they're, why Mercer Island kids would steal Shadle Park cheerleaders' purses is beyond me. You know, there's no, first of all, there's probably not a lot of money in it, and they secondly, they have more money than Heinz got pickles. You know, I mean, um, so it's kind of crazy to. Uh, the the whole thing was just surreal. Yeah, you know, because we're going. I I'm, I'm, I watch it because I'm watching it. I see it. And I saw the referees go like this, so I jump up. But then now their coach is going, no, it's late. And their whole people, and so it was just, it oh, was just pan, may, pandemonium, mayhem yeah. in there. And, and uh, But it, it they took it to a local court. It was thrown out. They tried to take it to Supreme Court. But they had a bunch of hearings where both um, um, Chris Mononopoulos is the referee. And he had to testify and say, no, no, we both, we both looked at each other. We both said the basket counts. And that was it. But... They weren't satisfied with that, and so that was our state championship game. <laughs> that's a, that's a, that's crazy. That's a crazy story. The even like, and it's still like a, a story to this day. I I feel like I've heard that story before from uh, one of my dad's friends. Yeah, well, uh, it, it is a crazy story, and it's crazy because it's a high school basketball game. Now, you know, I get it. You know, if you've you've never won, you've never been there. You're such a huge underdog, and mm-hmm. you know, maybe you take a look at it and you talk about it and see yeah. where it goes. But yeah, that was it. So bas- so so it sounds like basketball is your sport. Well, I loved it, yeah, because yeah. there's movement all yeah. the time, you know. But then again, when I got to my eleventh and junior and senior year football, I I kind of started liking it, you know, because yeah. we had some great athletes and and 
one of the reasons I liked it so much is, is the strike year of 1979-80. We had to play five games in a two-week window. Oh, we wow. played like on a Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, Saturday, or something, something like that. Mm-hmm. And it bode well for us because we were skilled. Like I say, that was an era where we had some really, really skilled players. Mm-hmm. Steve Rector, um, the CFO of, of Coles Publishing here in town, he was our number one receiver. He was unbelievable. Uh, we had Todd Toro. We had Greg Serenzi. We had Steve Vakache. We had a great Kent Schaefer tight end, uh, Tom Peterson. Our our tackles were legit. Mm-hmm. We had um, Neil Knipe, who was six six. He was like a backup on our uh, center on our basketball team. He yeah, wasn't great. Wasn't a great basketball. He was six six, two sixty five. Scott Poole was like six seven. He was our center on our football or on our basketball team. He was like six seven, six eight. He was only about two ten then, but he ends up going to Montana and becomes probably if it wasn't for his knee injuries and shoulder injuries, he would have been a probably a lottery pick, I think, uh, because of his footwork, his mm. amazing footwork from basketball and everything like that. So he was incredible. And um, so those are our bookend tackles, you know. Mm-hmm. And then we throw all these skill athletes in there. We got my brother Tim and, and Dan Fuller and playing running backs. And we had a very simple pro offense that, you know, it wasn't like five wide receivers, four wide receivers. It was two uh, tight end, two running backs, and two receivers. Mm. And Bob Haney and had this offense. It worked. Mm-hmm. You know, we did some naked bootlegs and some uh, play action stuff and some some fun stuff, you know, off of it. But most of our stuff was basically done from a pro set offense, which is hard to score the amount of points we scored other than we had some gifted players and some hack that was playing quarterback that could, <laughs> could get him the ball, you know. So it was a fun time. And then yeah. so that was our junior. But that strike season – uh, where the schools went on strike, you know, uh, it was a teacher walkout was great for us because we had, we could practice we could pra- we could practice without pads, you know, cause we could just go as, as skill players and our, our pad guys, you know, when they came, they, they developed and, um, evolved and were fine. But that, those first five games, we just kind of stormed past people cause we were ahead of the curve at yeah. the time. So, so, and you said all the, all the uh, the quarterback records at Shadow, well, didn't you? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Until my, <laughs> until my nephew came about twenty some odd years, thirty years later, and by his middle of his junior year, <laughs> not only surpassed him but uh, became one of the top, and is still one of the top um, uh, quarterbacks all time in, in the state of Washington. Yeah. So yeah, mine kind of. Yeah. But that was great. That was yeah, a, like, pretty- a different era. They had they they are they are running stuff five wide receivers. Yeah. They could if they could get six wide receivers in there. If the CFL, they would have done it. But yeah, yeah, there was just a and and Brett's a very very smart kid and a very skilled kid too. And and they again they had the same thing. They just they were they were around a core of athletes in in the neighborhood mm-hmm. that you just went to the park with and you did stuff ever since you were like 10, 11, 12 years old and just carry on into. And you enjoyed it. You enjoyed being around it, you yeah. know, and, and you enjoyed being around them. And, uh, again, I wouldn't have played football if it wasn't for my buddies that mm-hmm. were playing. I hated it. I got hit, and I was skinny and awkward. And But I played it because my friends played it. Yeah. So after high school, go to WSU. Was that your first choice? Yeah, it was my first and only choice. <laughs> I, I could have gone on, you know, my five required – recruiting trips my mom had a, a box that was about this big filled with recruiting letters i got mm-hmm. a personal letter from bear bryant who kind of basically said well you know i don't think what we're what we're we do is going to fit what you like but we'd love to have you you know here at alabama if you if you think about it you yeah know? so i thought that that was cool um 
you know, I have all these visits to different schools. Uh, I love Notre Dame. Um, loved uh, Illinois was one of the places I was thinking about. But it was during that basketball season. We were on the state championship. Mm. So I, it wasn't even a thought. It was kind of like, God, this would be cool. And and then you get these letters. Oh, yeah, you're going to come to uh, Illinois, and the Illini girls are going to take you and show you around campus. And I'm going, what the hell is an Illini girl? You know? <laughs> It's like go to Penn State, get a Nittany Lion girl take you around uh, Penn State campus. And, <laughs> nope, you weren't there at the time? Okay. <laughs> you're like 10. <laughs> Maybe not even. You're you're six, I think. Anyways, um, <laughs> that, so, yeah, so I think it, it was just kind of like you hear all these stories, you know, where you're going to go and get drunk. And I, I'd, I'd rather just kind of stay around high school with my buddies and yeah. Get drunk. <laughs> we didn't do that, but I mean, if yeah, if we course. did that, yeah, you know, yeah, right. that's what, why would I want to go to some foreign country like Florida? Or <laughs> I, I only ask because I, I mean, I always wonder, like if, like if WSU was like a fallback, or if there was, if there was any other. No, there was only there was only one. I, yeah. I, I got a good a kind of a. I think it's a funny story. You might not think it's funny, but Ray Dor was the the. Uh, quarterback coach and offensive coordinator at the University of Washington. Mm. And since I was kind of on, got on the radar my sophomore year when I started playing, mm-hmm. and they said, oh, this kid's, you know, pretty good little athlete. Then my junior had a great junior year. He recruited me. I mean, it was it was almost like stalking. Just, <laughs> you know, everywhere I'd show up, he'd be, hey, Mark, hey, Doug. You know, and you're not supposed to do that, you know, mm-hmm. recruiting. But this is my junior year, and so he just kind of, hey, just – just, uh, you know, went to the sports banquet, just wanted to say hi. Gosh, we really – so, but the whole time I'd been a huge Jack Thompson fan. Mm-hmm. Jack Thompson was like – and I still think is the godfather of quarterbacks at Washington State. He was playing there, and I said – so I had my mind pretty much made up. Yeah. And um, – but, you know, I just kind of kept the door open a little bit. But it was funny because when I early – I signed uh, my letter of intent early before letter of intent day because I, did, you know, I wanted to – do the basketball thing and mm-hmm. kind of get this over with and behind yeah. me because people it was kind of hectic even then there's no cell phones or anything people would find you i don't know how but I, <laughs> we had a little home line and my dad loved it he was yeah oh hey how's it going bear Bryant? hey joe paterno how, yeah I mean, <laughs> yeah he, he was getting into it for but, sure uh, yeah I mean, i'm, sure I'm like enjoying it yeah. yeah so um so anyways uh i i signed early at, uh, at washington state it wasn't a week later i get a letter in the mail from the University of Washington. Well, actually, after looking, and this is not even um, signing day hasn't even done. Uh, actually, looking at our situation here, um, we, we're going to have to re- renege our offer. You know that we. <laughs> to you. It's kind of like really. I mean, you went over beyond the call of duty to, you know, bump into me everywhere. And now mm-hmm. you're going to do that. So, which is fine. I mean, I I have so many close friends at uh, at UW, and I was just mentioning. I think earlier in this thing, my my uh, goddaughter. Uh, Cammy, you know, goes to UW. So yeah. I think it's still cute. That is awesome. Yep. I, I wanted to say when you were at WSU, I, I did not know you were a scrambling quarterback. Uh, and then uh, I, I saw that in 1984, you rushed for 101 times for uh, 275 yards and six touchdowns. That's uh, that's that's two, impressive. 2.7 yards a carry. <laughs> that, well, that's 100, not that's, impressive. It's 100 carries. It's 100 though. carries, yeah. So, um, <laughs> yeah, well, we, I ran the... Counter dive option. That was yeah. what Jim Walden did. I mean, mm-hmm. we threw off it too, so we did a lot of great things with mm-hmm. it. Um, we weren't like, you know, um, we had 
at Washington State when I was there, a system that worked for the guys that we had there. We were tiny. I was probably as big as a couple of our guards, you know. Mm -hmm. So we were like 250 uh, at our guards, 245, 250 at our center, 270 at our tackles. Mm. UW was 300 at their tackles, 290 at their guards, and 270 at their center. They are bigger than most NFL teams size-wise, you know. And So we had to do things differently. We had to trick them a little bit, you know, and we had to kind of do this counter-dive option where you had to read the tackle if he tackled the – the running back, then mm-hmm. you keep it, pull it out, and pitch off the defensive end, you know. Mm-hmm. And so it was some stuff that was, I think, essential for the type of athlete we had. I would have liked to have been sitting back in a shotgun and slinging it all over the field. But I'd, back then, I didn't even think – I don't think shotgun was even invented. It mm-hmm. might have been. Some mm-hmm. teams might have been used. We sure as heck weren't. We were always under the center. And which bode well for me later on because everything we did in Joe Gibbs' system was underneath the center. So mm. we, I never went to the shotgun until I left uh, the, the Redskins. So. Wow. What, what, what are some highlights from your WSU career? Well, I had um, John Marshall and I, we, we set a record. Uh, we made 275 quarters into a glass and, and took a whole fraternity down. Um <laughs> Oh, oh, you that. <laughs> well, that was, I was asking, what was a WSU experience like? So like that, that sounds, was part of the experience. That was definitely yeah, part well, of the experience. You know, <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, as a, as a young kid, you, you, you get a little stupid at times, but, um, you know, the, Idaho, Moscow was seven miles away. Yeah. So it was 19, I turned 19 in October, my first year there. So I went over with some buddies, you know, often, not you know, once a month, you know, yeah. we go over there and just kind of see what, you know, what the, how cold their beverages are and what their, <laughs> what their gals look like and, and uh, all that good stuff. And yeah. then, but uh, in, in my experience in, in Pullman was great. I started out in a fraternity my first year, mm. uh, my half, half, half the year I was in a fraternity. Then I moved out with my um, roommates and which I'm still very close to all of them, John Marshall, John Trout, Jeff Loomis. Um, and we stay in touch and um, I'll be probably seeing them here in the next couple weeks. But um, they're, that's the thing that I remember the most. I don't remember, you know, games much. Mm-hmm. I remember the spring game where I got a concussion. That was kind of a funny story. But I, I just remember the experiences of, 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 of the friends and things that we, you know, kind of did during football and, and uh, off of football and what we do now together uh, in life. So Yeah. That's, that's you want to hear my concussion uh, story? It's, yeah, let's hear your concussion story. It's, it's kind of funny in a way, except – Back in 1980, I told you in high school, Mount yeah. St. Helens erupted, right? Mm-hmm. Well, we had an artificial turf in Pullman. So imagine Mount St. Helens erupting. There's about that much ash yeah. on all Joe Alby Stadium, Martin Stadium down there. Mm-hmm. Well, they probably try to get it off as much as they can. They don't, like, suck it up with a vacuum. They mm-hmm. shovel it, and then there's a lot that stuck within the pores of pores, uh, of the uh, the turf. So then when it rains... That, like, turns to cement. Yeah. So that field was like cement. Oh, my gosh. So we're playing a spring game, um, 1982, spring of 1982. And I roll out, or 83, I think, actually. I roll out because I'm playing Ricky Turner's uh, quarterback for the other team. I'm quarterback for the gray, so it's crimson versus gray. Mm -hmm. I roll out, and I throw one just before the end of the first half. And I throw it, and as I throw it, I get pushed. So I don't even get hit. I get pushed, and I'm kind of watching it. You know, And as I'm watching it, I see it just kind of fall to the to the turf. It got knocked down, mm-hmm. but first thing that hit was back of my head. Oh man! On the turf, and I go, I shook my head and wondering, okay, all right. Then I see everyone running in the tunnel, so 
well, what, because, you know, you're going in to get your marching orders for the second half. So yeah. I run in with them, and, and next thing you know, they run down the hallway, and a couple, the, the, our group goes in there, their group goes in there, and I don't know what I was thinking, but I kept going. And next thing you know, I'm fully dressed with my helmet on, on campus, asking where one of my classes were. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So they called and said, uh, we got, you know, one of your finest up on campus not oh knowing my. not knowing where he's at and so uh, i remember seeing mark smaha and uh, mark's mark's a great story too uh, his he's got kind of survivor guilt i'll maybe maybe we'll touch on that later but mm. anyways um so mark you know kind of says rip what's going on i kind of didn't know what was going on so john marshall ended up taking me home from there and course you last thing you want to do is have a party and go to a party afterwards mm. sure enough john's supposed to hey make sure mark gets some rest you you watch him and so john did i think he watched me sit at a party with him and he said oh he looks good he's fine and but that was that was kind of a, one of the scariest moments i've experienced as a as an athlete when it comes to not really having any idea yeah if i was on foot or horseback you know yeah that's crazy to think yeah. that i mean i imagine that wasn't like the your first like time with a concussion but like oh no the first real i mean there's so many you know, concussive in you know, events that happen so you mm -hmm. know and subconcussive injuries and cumulative effect of just being hit yeah that um but i mean i've also you know thought to myself i've i was came up pretty unscathed you know when it comes because i've i've met in 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 the in the interim of that i've had an opportunity to get my uh, spec scan of my brain mm -hmm. to a normal brain and as there is some abnormalities nothing to the extent that some players and some people have uh endured in in, in their lives so right. I'm, i've actually knock on wood pretty lucky yeah um to be where i'm at so mm. so after wsu in the 1986 draft you were drafted in the sixth round uh by the Red washington redskins yeah. What, did you expect to be drafted? Well, I'll, I'll, my agent uh, <laughs> is, is Ken Staniger from. Okay. Uh, he 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 died about roughly four or five years ago from um, from cancer, and he was my agent. So, you know, we're all going to go down. I think we're down. What's the one right there across uh, the river? Um, Red Line. The hotel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. the Red Line Hotel. Mm -hmm. So he got a, a no. The other one. Oh. Like the war of the Centennial, it's like the Centennial Hotel now. I'm not sure what it was it's called. It's the one. It's the one that kind of Washington Street. It's right by Washington Street. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, that yeah. one. So we got a suite there, and so we're all excited, you know, because mm -hmm. I've been told maybe the early second round, mm. and and um, so we go, and it's it was the most painful, and you know, I, I thought at the time embarrassing thing ever, you know, because yeah, you're you're excited, you know, like okay, the first round happens, and that they did it pretty quick then, so the second round got underway, and so about the eighth pick in the second round from Washington. So we thought, oh, you know, from Washington, mm -hmm. Washington, from Washington State quarterback, no, it was Hugh Millen. I go, Hugh fucking Millen got, <laughs> oops, <laughs> you can, you can yeah. guess. <laughs> Hugh fucking Millen got picked before I did. I mean, we kicked their ass all the time in, in the Apple Cup. And uh, <laughs> so anyways, so that was, uh, okay, well, then maybe later in the second round, third yeah. round, later in the fourth, late fifth. About the, about the fourth round, I said, I want to go home. So we went home, and I kind of laid down, and I, I got a phone call from Joe Gibbs. Hey, he was really excited. Yeah. And I'm, like, getting up from, you know, wanting to, like, hide under the covers for the next two years. Mm -hmm. I get up, hello? 
hey, Coach Gibbs here. Hey, really excited to have you. And just uh, can't tell you how much we're looking forward to having you out here. Look forward to seeing you in, in a couple weeks. I'll put you on with uh, Jerry Rome, and he'll kind of give you the details. But so super, oh, thanks, you know. <laughs> you probably thought, <laughs> wow, I'm Joe Gibbs. I mean, I've, I won a Super Bowl. And yeah. You're going to treat me like that. I, I, <laughs> I would, But it was that, that's how I felt. And yeah. I don't know how I came across, but that was my feeling. And then, um, so then uh, that was that was kind of, yeah, six round guy. I mean, there's a couple guys in the six round that did all right. Mm-hmm. This other guy, Tom Brady. Yeah, think, for yeah, sure. He's, you know, he's the six rounder from Absolutely. Michigan. You know, skinny, <laughs> little, skinny little guy like myself. That uh, this is also back when the NFL had twelve rounds too. So you're, yes, you're, you're, you're a mid round. Yes, mid round. <laughs> thank you. You're just trying to make me feel <laughs> well. Nothing make me feel as bad as I felt that day. And, yeah. Um, but I was fortunate because I was drafted by a team that. Um, you know, I'm then looking on it because I remember the year before that Monday night game. I was in Pullman. I was having. We always went after practice. We went to uh, um, Jeff Loomis. Myself would go to Baskin Robbins, mm. and he'd order me a quarterback crunch shake. You know, and mm-hmm. so we took that back to our, our our room, our apartment, and we were watching that Monday night game where Joe Joe Theismann snapped his oh my gosh. his leg. You know, so who would have thunk at that time that that injury would actually, they would be looking for a quarterback. Right. Because, you know, um, you know, Joe was pretty much a career-ending injury at that yeah. time. And so I got drafted and worked, turned out to be great. It was a great fit. Yeah. I was lucky to be with a guy named Jerry Rome, who was my quarterback coach. He'd work relentlessly with me as the team was preparing for games and we had time to go mm-hmm. on the other field and just work on all our reads and and all yeah. the things we did to make me a better player. And I just, I just so grateful for that. And, and Joe Gibbs and just the system and the players and, mm-hmm. um, and what we, what we accomplished in that period of time. Mm-hmm. So the first two seasons in the NFL, you were injured, right? Injured? Injured. Okay. <laughs> it's a way to hide players, you know? Yeah. I mean, matter of fact, it was like, I, I probably would have won the Academy Award in New England because Joe Gibbs says, Hey, um, you know, this is a game we're going to, if you're, if you're scrambling, we need you to scramble and get out and out of mm-hmm. bounds and you're going to, you know, get pushed and shoved and make sure you go down, you stay down. So, wow. Kind of, there was kind of a, you know, a, hey, just, you need, to, <laughs> you need to make this look good because the league was really, you know, you can't, you couldn't hide players, you know, because yeah. there was a roster and that was it. You know, then there was an injured roster. So I was on two years in injured reserve. Mm-hmm. So the, I remember being shoved and going to hitting the sidelines and, and going down. And then getting back up, and they go, "Oh, I should stay down." I went back down, stayed back down till the trainers came over, and in case there was question, they never did question. But uh, yeah. that was kind of my first two years. It was like yeah. there was these nagging injuries. Some one guy had a blood disorder. You know? Oh my gosh! <laughs> I mean, it was just this is a way to hide way to hide, hide players. Hide you know, players, yeah. yeah, pay them, hide them, and, and and keep them there so they could practice because they didn't have a practice squad. Mm-hmm. So, so your first <laughs> NFL game. Didn't come until 1988. Uh, yeah, there's was, a lot of shit going on then, too. You know, I got married in March, uh, January, February, March. I don't even know. January, February, March. April. Okay. No, March. I got married in March. Mm-hmm. My dad died in June. Oh, wow. My first child was to be born in the end of October, and I got my first start from a phone call I got from Joe Gibbs on a Monday night. Hey, you ready? I go, I'm always ready, Coach. You're ready for what? He goes, well, you're getting the ball this week. That was a, he, he was like, it wasn't like, oh, my God, you know, Doug went down with the appendectomy. Oh, my Lord. He's like, ready? We're, we're ready for you. Yeah. Yep. 
So he gave me great confidence there. I go, all right, I'll see you in the morning. He goes, absolutely. Let's have a good week. Uh-huh. So that was my kind of in my indoctrination. I don't even know. How indoctrination? Indoctrination, yeah. yeah. That I, don't, I yep. might be saying Indoctrin- that. No, indoctrination. <laughs> yes, it is. To, um, to the NFL. And I, even my first two years, I, I'll have to be honest with you, Brandon, I was like thinking to myself, all right, I got two years mm-hmm. here watching, on the field watching, because, you know, I was kind of the clipboard guy, on the field watching, and I'm thinking to myself, oh, my God, these athletes are so fast. There's no freaking way I can play this game. Mm-hmm. I, 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 I'm scared if I get my chance. Yeah. So now my chance comes. And I always was told by, I forget who it was that telling me, it says you got to be able to, if you start speeding up the game, you're going at a different level than when you practice and when you play. Mm-hmm. You need to try to try to slow down the game if you can. Mm-hmm. And I remember that. And I'm thinking, wow, this ain't so hard. This ain't so bad. And trust the guys around you. You know, we mm-hmm. all had our blitz breakoff reads. We had our hot reads. We had our maximum protection where you could kind of know we had maximum protection, get back there, set your feet and throw it. You had all those things. And mm-hmm. sure enough, that uh, that little bit of information was probably a make it, break it for me because if I had a – You've done what a lot of kids, you know, young quarterbacks would get their chance. This may be their, this might have been my only shot. Yeah. You know? And so I remember uh, my mom coming out, my sister Colleen, I talked about earlier, came mm-hmm. out to the game. Um, my almost nine month pregnant wife, Annette, came out to oh the game. Gosh. You know, she was eight, eight months. And, you know, that end of that October 26th is when Amber arrived. So wow. Amber got to kind of hear the game anyway. And so. <laughs> It was uh, like it was horrible. It was like ninety-eight degrees in Phoenix. It was a hot, hot October. Yeah, you know, day and um, played and it played played good. I my numbers were good. Mm-hmm. I can remember just the last series, you know, and and you know taking the team down the field and we need a touchdown to win and and a, uh, I think a field goal. That I, I'm not sure exactly what we needed to do, but I remember rolling out and getting about twelve yards and getting ready to, you know, getting. With about fifty six seconds left to, at their thirty yard lines and be tackled from behind the ball come loose. Mm. Fumbled and, and I had some issues early on in my career with some fumbles and I worked on some drills. I had to work at some things. I mean, thank goodness if something came came up, um, I always worked on it and make sure it didn't mm-hmm. happen, you know, time and time and time again, because if it does, you're not gonna be playing anymore. And mm-hmm. so uh, I was fortunate. First first touchdown pass was Art Monk, which is pretty pretty freaking cool. Yep, <laughs> I think it was five eighty-five. Uh, the maximum protection. There might have been O protection. I'm not sure exactly. But I think it was O protection, and it was cover two. Mm-hmm. And I kind of uh, looked left to the s- safety is in two deep coverage. Safety to left. I try to look him to Gary Clark, who's running an adjusted route, which is a go route. Mm-hmm. Ricky Sanders on the other side. He's running an adjusted route, which is a go route. So I've tried both the safety separate, and Art comes. He gives a nice little hip fake and comes over over the top of the linebacker, and and I lay it down and score a touchdown. So that was pretty. That's pretty cool. I think, wow, this, is, this game's kind of easy. <laughs> Never thought the game was easy, <laughs> by the way. Uh, well, it sounds like in 1981, it, it sounds like in a magical year. Uh, it, it, well, uh, your team went 14-2. and two. You, The two games you lost was by a combined score of five points. And, and so it's crazy to think that you're that close to a perfect season. Uh, you were named second-team All-Pro, Pro Bowler, but more importantly, that was your one win the Super Bowl and uh, named yeah. Super Bowl MVP. Like, 
Well, I wasn't named second team all pro. Wait, second? I, I was second team in the uh, MVP, Barry Sanders. Won. Oh. Yeah, okay. I was uh, second in the MVP voting. Mm. Um, Barry Sanders won the MVP that year. I was, um, yeah, it was, it, was, it was a weird year because the, the season before, the one thing that was crazy, the year before, we beat the Eagles in a playoff game. Okay. And that was the one thing that you kind of measured at in Washington, D.C. There were, we're winning Super Bowls. We're doing this and we're doing that. So getting into the playoffs was can Rippon win yeah. in the playoffs. So we go up to Philadelphia, which is a tough environment to play at. Mm-hmm. I got the crap kicked out of me, but I got a lot of um, – and we beat Philadelphia in Philadelphia. And those are the games I think are better than throwing a six-touchdown game against Atlanta yeah. and have these accolades as everything. is when the pressure's on the the, – the, 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 you know, the chips are on the line. You're getting beat up. It might not be the prettiest win, but you're making plays. And that's Buddy Ryan's team. And you're, you know, you got Reggie White, you got Seth Joyner, you got uh, uh, Dirty Water, Andre Dirty Waters, you know, Andre Waters, you know, and they got some, they got some, some badass players on their team, mm-hmm. you know, and Jerome Brown, <laughs> you know, and, and so we always figured if you get out of the NFC East and you are, going to the playoffs and you're the team representing the NFC East and in the Nas- or the uh, NFC championship game or the Super Bowl, you've been battle tested. Yeah. So uh, one of the things is, well, though, can, can Rippon win a, uh, a game? Can he win a playoff game? So I did. Mm-hmm. We, and then the following week we lost by seven or not even that, but I played a good game against San Francisco, but I left my heart in San Francisco one too many times, <laughs> you know, and I can never beat those bastards. And, and they were pretty stacked and they're pretty good. And playing them in Candlestick Park was, uh, was never an easy task. Mm-hmm. And the fans and the, 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 the field there too is, is always cause it's, below sea level it's weird and it's yeah. always the, the saturated the the ground and um but no but beating philadelphia and philadelphia is like okay this guy's this guy's ready for you know ready for the prime time so i remember mm-hmm. okay i'm gonna i'm gonna use that as leverage because my contract was up mm-hmm. so he sat out sat out missed the playoff game or missed the uh start of training camp it was like two weeks into training camp i'm actually in in um What's a big lake in Montana? Flathead Lake in mm. Montana with my agent. Kind of, we're, we're negotiating. But I'm also throwing. I'm actually, it's kind of funny. I was on his his dock. He's driving the boat. And his son's in the boat catching balls. And he's they're running go routes on the boat. <laughs> so I just had some fun doing yeah. that, you know, and getting ready. And finally, about two weeks into training camp, I'd, um, I'd signed. But I had missed training camp. I'm getting bad pu- press, bad publicity. Mm-hmm. I have a poor preseason games two two of my three preseason games were poor we open up against detroit we literally smoke the heck out of them and we go on this bandwagon thing tony kornheiser had an article about seventh weekend when we're seven and oh six weeks in Mm -hmm. and it was about jumping on the bandwagon this team's pretty good jump on the bandwagon by the 13th week you know 12th week or we're 12 and oh or something like that we played dallas i think we lose by two Mm -hmm. and it was um it was pretty pretty surreal because we knew we were good, yeah. but we also knew we weren't good enough that we could just show up. Right. You know, we had a bunch of smart guys. One of the things Joe Gibbs said about that team is that we had a lot of smart guys that we challenged us, meaning them as a coaching staff, would challenge us with a game plan and say, there's no way they're going to get this. No way they're going to get this game plan. It's too complicated, too much this, too much that. That's one of the reasons why we were successful, mm-hmm. because of all the different formations, the different motions, the different shifts, the different – and that we had an extra five seconds for the 35 second clock. So that gave us an opportunity and an advantage that other teams didn't. 
because then teams would have to spend most of their off or defense in vanilla packages because if they started game planning, all the shifting motion, all that crap, and all the different personnel that we put in, whether it be three wide receivers, a tight end, a running back, two tight ends, two wide receivers, a running back, four wide receivers, a running back, a, heavy, a jumbo heavy package, which is one running back, one, two, three, four tight ends, you know. Mm -hmm. You had you had to become fairly vanilla with us because you couldn't do all the extravagant blitzes and things that you normally do if a team just lined up. Mm. So it was to our advantage as players to understand these concepts and me as a quarterback to be their guy to get them in. And Joe Gibbs gave me a lot of praise and still to this day has given me a lot me a lot of praise personally and us collectively as a group because we were a bunch of smart guys that understood. Our offensive line were off the charts brilliant. Mm. Jeff Bostick at center, passing it out to Mark Schlereth, Russ Grimm, Reggie McKenzie, over to, to Joe Jacoby, to Jim Lachey, to Ed Simmons, who's a local guy from uh, from Pasco that played at Eastern that was on our team, to um, to all those guys. They were just smart, smart guys. Mark, Mark Addicts was a backup um, uh, guard. End up after he was done playing, he played like six years. And after he's done playing, went into medical school, Harvard Medical School, graduated, and now is the head of orthopedics in, in Texas. Wow. So that's the kind of guys we have. Mark Schlereth, yeah. you know, is doing uh, wonderful things. So, anyways, yeah. we had a bunch of smart guys that did uh, a lot of real good things. And that year was just a culmination of guys. But, anyways, I, I'm heading back to the coming into training camp. I missed two weeks. I'm getting bad publicity. I remember. Jack Kent Cook, you know, he was he was he was a great he was a really a good owner, but he wasn't you know big contracts were not his thing, and there wasn't big contracts. I, I signed a three year nine million dollar deal. Mm -hmm. You know, there's no signing bonus, no nothing. You know, mm. and um, I remember him coming up to me said, "Well, you are, um, well, Mark, looking forward to to watching this. We're gonna have a good year, aren't we? Yes, sir. We're gonna have a great year. Well, God bless you, then, Mark. Get out there and do it. You know, and that was kind of his." <laughs> After he called me, I don't know if he called me a jackass or a jack wagon or something, you know, uh -huh. for for holding out. Oh. He goes, that's why that may be one of the stupidest things yeah, anyone could do. Mm. So I kind of rolled the dice. I just signed. Oh, I know what it was. I'd signed a one year deal coming mm -hmm. into there. That's what it was. Yeah. I didn't sign the three year deal to after the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So I signed a one year deal, kind of rolled the dice because. You know, I had a great year the year before. It put up good numbers. as in the top five, I think, in the NFC for quarterback rating and such. And I got like a one point, you know, five million, which you know wasn't horrible. But it's the 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 guys that were ahead of me were like making five million, you know, yeah. on that. So I rolled the dice. It worked out. And I remember all the guys said, "Well, Rip, you can back the Brinks truck up to the to the <laughs> to the dock and and get what you want now." And but even then, we didn't have – there was no leverage because there was no free agency. So right. we are just at our owner's mercy. Yeah. And, and his contract was – it was good. I was in the top 10 paid, I think, in the, at that time in the, mm -hmm. in the NFL. It's just a different era. It's a different era, yeah. I mean, now the, backups. Now backups are making the total contract, $9, $10 million a year. Yeah. That's <laughs> it's just different timing. That is, that's, that is yeah. crazy. What, yep. what was it like winning the Super Bowl and – being the MVP of it. Well, you know, I mean, the MVP part comes with the fact that you are you play a very high-profile position. Yeah. You know, and there's going to be maybe only, I think, 10 guys in each team that Disney kind of, you know, comes to and says, hey, you know, if, uh, if 
you win the MVP, we want you to practice these lines. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, what, what are those? I'm going to Disney World. I'm going to Disneyland. So, yeah. Mark Rippin, what are you going to do after? <laughs> I'm going to Disney World. <laughs> I remember having my daughter on 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 my shoulders, you know, or actually holding her, and yeah, it was pretty pretty cool because a moment, you know, and that, at that time you're so elated, and so yeah, so it's it really becomes out comes out pretty real, and yeah, and so um, yeah, that was that was practice, but you know, I mean, I just just um, for some reason, we we how we practice back then was uh, indicative of how we were going to play. It was a game was almost like it, we practiced so hard that whole week before. I remember hurting my sprain of my ankle mm-hmm. Friday with about ten plays left, five plays left in the in our practice. Sprain of my ankle, not knowing if I was going to play on the weekend. So it felt so bad, and um, you know, and I was I was in tears. This was before the Super Bowl. Before the Super Bowl, wow. Friday, because we went full gear. Oh wow! We, you know, Wednesday, Thursday, and Friday, we went full gear. Shut her down to, to shorts and shoulder shorts and headgears on Saturday for the walkthrough, and then of course the game on Sunday. But we were, and it was intense because mm. our defense wanted to give us the best look possible to get us ready. Yeah, and they did, and they came at us. It was incredible, and uh, so I was like, oh no, no, please, no, don't get this far, and then have to watch from the sidelines. But turned out okay. You know, yeah. I didn't have to get any cortisone shots, which I've had to do in a playoff game uh, years previous in, in San Francisco, which during the game's great, but when you're flying back on an airplane, it ain't so good. Right, yeah. You know, it wears off, and it's uh, <laughs> kind of horrible. So the game, you know, I mean, just another th- cool thing about the game, I remember coming out, they introduced the offense, give the thumbs up, because Mike Utley, who played um, offensive tackle for us at Washington State years previous to that, got paralyzed that season when he was playing for the Detroit Lions. And so – he wanted all guys to give him the thumbs up if they ever, you know, just to say, hey, it was a kind of a way to say we're thinking about you, Mike. And so mm-hmm. I remember coming out in the field with double thumbs up and mm-hmm. and uh, just kind of honoring him. And then, you know, then the rest was kind of cool. It was pretty pretty surreal. Yeah. First first touchdown that was ever overturned in a in a Super Bowl. I hit Art Monk in the back of the end zone, but he had one foot on the line. That was first first year instant replay was used. Wow! So yeah. I did not realize that. Yep. Wow! So that was the first touchdown we threw. Um, and then we went to kick the – so this is f- like the first quarter. We went to kick the field goal. Uh, the bo- ball got botched. And, or, yeah, ball got botched, and we didn't even get points out of that, you know. So mm. we're thinking, well, maybe this isn't our day. And then I threw an interception the next time down in the red zone, mm. you know. And then I'm thinking, oh, shoot. But then we had like five the next – I think we scored the next five drives and, and just kind of – it was 37-14 before they – or 37-10 before they scored two – late touchdowns. Mm. It was just a, a masterful job offensively, defensively, special teams. Brad Edwards had a great game. I think he had two picks. He could have been uh, named mm. the MVP too. It was just uh, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, it was exciting. I have to ask, mm-hmm. what was the Pro Bowl like a week later? Um, the Pro Bowl was pretty cool, uh, except I had two uh, two broken ribs. Oh, my gosh. And end up playing. Yeah. Which, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of times you, you could just bow out. But mm-hmm. I said, no, you kidding me? I got I got freaking um, uh, Michael Irvin. I got Jerry Rice. I want to – and Ricky uh, – Gary Clark, you know. Yeah. And I want to throw to these guys. Yeah. And I think uh, – uh, I think I, Michael Irvin caught like 14 balls. I think I hit him 10 times on hitch routes and out routes and just some easy stuff. And Jerry Rice had a couple slants. And mm-hmm. oh, it, was, it was pretty cool. I, you know, that was just – but flying over there – because after the game, I had 56 people. I don't uh, – one, one of the things that was so cool mm. about uh, having a Super Bowl where you're, you know, is you got 
lot of people want to come to the game. Mm-hmm. A lot of my relatives, a lot of my close. So I wanted everyone to be a part of it. But yeah. getting accommodations for all those people was difficult. You know, I said, you get your flight there, I'll get you there. So I had 56 tickets I had to get. Um, I end up get we as players got twenty six. I had to get thirty, so I had to buy them from players. They would they wouldn't even sell them to me for face value. I paid like <laughs> double, like said five hundred dollars. Come on, guys. A few of them did, but others <laughs> say no. We want a thousand bucks a ticket. So I I got you know I got everyone tickets. I and one of the things that, that having a week prior to the Super Bowl to get Joe Gibbs said that is what we're going to do this whole week. You know, we're going to come here and look at some film on your own, but you are going to get everything taken care of. When we come back Saturday morning to prepare for this game, everything needs to be out. You know, you need to get it done. So I was rushing around. I'm trying to figure out, oh, how do you? So I called the uh, Minneapolis Chamber of Commerce. Do you got anything? Oh, everything's booked. The nearest thing is 100 miles outside of Minneapolis. Oh, it's got, he goes, well, hold it. There's one, one thing for a group that large. There is a retreat house for the nuns at St. Uh, St. Paul Cathedral, mm. right across the street from St. Paul Cathedral. They do. They have two people or two couples that are there now, but it accommodates 60. I go, that's perfect. All 56 of them stayed there. Nice. You know, the nuns were the ones checking them in and out for like four nights. So I think they got there. Most everyone got there Wednesday night or maybe Thursday night and checked out Monday. So Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Yeah, four nights. Um, I took care of everything, had all the people I wanted there. You know, my agent was there, my, uh, Chad Little, who's, uh, uh you know, we're going to get on, on the podcast here that, mm. uh, I was doing some work with NASCAR with and had him come out with his, uh, sister and my college roommates there, had my relatives from Canada, my, uh, some, most, a lot of, uh, my wife at the time's family, you know, so it was, it was great to have them. My kids were both there, Malay or, uh, Angela, my youngest, was too young to go to the game, so she stayed with one of our babysitters and um, back at the place. But Amber went and hoisted her up on the shoulders at the end of the game. It was it was cool to have everyone there. That's awesome. Yep. Um, so I'm gonna get a little somber. Uh, sure. You continue you continue to play in the NFL through like 1997, like off and on. You were you finished your you finished your time. Did you finish your contract with Washington? I finished my contract with Washington. I'll kind of bring you up to speed and yeah. uh, in. Um, I did not. They oh. honored only two years of my contract. The mm. third year, they said they're going a different direction. This, the, the year after my the Super Bowl, my first year of my contract, we went back and lost to uh, to uh, San Francisco. Mm. In San Francisco, we beat Minnesota Vikings that year on the road. I found out that I had a, um, a slap lesion tear in my bicep tendon, mm. and that was some of the reason why I wasn't as accurate as I was in on the long ball the year we won the Super Bowl is because mm. I just didn't have the arm strength, yeah, you know, because of that. And um, so anyways, uh, had surgery afterwards, um, came back the following year and went to the playoff game against, uh, like I say, beat um, Minnesota. Minnesota lost to San Francisco. The following year came back and then had a knee injury. Mm. And so then at that time, I'm two years into this contract and my – Charlie Castle and the organization th- says, oh, well, he's kind of damaged good now, goods now. Mm. So even with all the service I did to them, they didn't honor my last year of my contract. They said, well, Mark, we want you back. We're probably going to draft someone in the first round. We want you to be here to be. And if I had hindsight, I mean, if they would have offered me more than what they offered, they offered to me like, uh, I think 500000 is supposed to make $3 million that year. Mm. Uh, maybe, no, maybe seven fifty. 
you know, if they'd offered me a million and a half, I probably would have stuck around and been a mentor because they drafted he Schuler. He came in and he was awful. You know, <laughs> North Turner was there, and uh, it was a, it, but it was a changing the guard. The mm. only one that stayed was Daryl Green. Everyone else that had been on that Super Bowl team within three years was gone mm. from the organization. Players, uh, some administration was st- still there. There's mm-hmm. quite a bit, and and then of course Jack and Cook, you know, turned the reins over to Dan Snyder, mm. who took over uh, just before the 2000. So, anyways, I went to um, Cleveland, played a year in Cleveland, had a great time there. Played a couple of games. I was I think two and one as a starter. Vinny got a concussion and came back. I was two and one as a starter. Um, played Belichick was our defensive coordinator. <laughs> wow. Um, Nick Sa- or no, Belichick was our, our head coach. Nick Saban was our defense coordinator. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Kirk Ferentz was our line coach at the uh, Cleveland Browns and had, had a good experience there. Mm. Then I bounced around to St. Louis for two different stints and one in Philadelphia, or Philadelphia, I mean. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, and then the last year was 2001. I uh, was kind of sitting at home getting ready for my 20-year school reunion. Mm-hmm. And Bill Polian, who we who's a G, uh, general manager for the Bills when we were there, said, hey, are you in any shape? And I kind of looked down at myself. <laughs> yeah, not bad. And he goes, well, why don't you come here for a workout? We're not happy with our backup, Peyton Manning's backup. And I said, sure, I'll come out there. So I go out there with just my clothes on and, 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 a, and a bag of uh, change clothes, you know, and flew all the way out to Indianapolis, um, worked out for him, was showering, because he said, you know, they're going on a trip the next day to practice with the Tennessee Titans, and they would get back to me after that trip um, to uh, see, if, you know, whether or not they're going to sign me or, or whatever yeah. they're going to do. So I, I worked out for them, and, and uh, Huffnagel was their uh, quarterback coach, and when I was, and he was he's great. He goes, Mark, wow, that's pretty impressive for you haven't played in a couple of years. And um, I can remember a buddy of mine, John Hemmingson here in town, he had his friend who came and ran – pass routes for me like the day before I was supposed to go mm. this guy was like I think he pulled a hamstring he almost broke his back you know but anyhow I get uh I get there and I throw and I'm showering getting ready to get my catch my flight back to Spokane and mm-hmm. get ready to see uh partake in my 20-year class reunion yeah that weekend and um Bill Pullian goes oh that's great I uh, talked to Ken and and uh, we worked out a deal and we can get your clothes later we want you to come to Tennessee. That's awesome. Yeah. So I came to Tennessee. I played the last couple games. Played one game uh, that I didn't even really know the plays. It was like the la- it was the second to last game of the year. And I played in the game before a little bit, but played the last game of the year. Took them down on a two minute drive, and I'm I'm calling plays. I think from the uh, from my days of the Redskins, but the guys are understand this kind of similar language. But uh-huh. and I throw a touchdown pass and throw another touchdown pass late in the game and. So end up, we end up winning uh, the last preseason game because last preseason game they usually, they don't want the starter to play. So. Right. And then basically I, I came in one play because I was not a threat. I told Peyton, Peyton, I'm not a threat here because all the other guys that were backups said, oh, I'm going to take your job. I'm, Peyton, don't worry. I'm just going to talk X's and O's with, O's with you. I want you to, you know, I want you to be able to relax and enjoy. I don't, yeah. don't want to play. Is kind of. I didn't really say that. Right. But it was kind of like. I just want to sit here and pick your brain and yeah. and you know see what you're thinking. I love the the uh, cerebral part of football and yeah. the X's and O's. And so I'd go over to his house. I'd watch film with him at his house and 
and I played one play, and that was it. It was a great, was <laughs> great, great season. Uh, that must have been his like third year in the in the was it second year? Second year? Second okay. year? Yeah, okay. that was uh, Jim Moore, and it was uh, this was after it, Andrew passed away in in in, in 1998. So I took mm-hmm. three years off, and yeah. I came back, and that was 9/11 too. Yeah, um, and I remember sitting there, it was surreal in my apartment in in uh, Indianapolis, waking up, turning the TV on, going, what the. F- what in the hell is going on here? Yeah. You know, and, and then the second plane, as live coverage, I'm like, oh, what is happening? Yeah. You know, and, and that kind of changed uh, changed the way we go to airports and changed security for the rest of our lives. And now yeah. COVID, it's so yeah. we're Gosh, it's a lot. In that, so. Yeah, well, I was going to bring up Andrew. And sure. I just, as, I mean, as a father, I, I just couldn't ever imagine dealing with that and or, or imagine what that would be like. <laughs> Yeah, you, you left the NFL for three years, and what, I'll, I'll kind of walk you through yeah. the, the the I I, I um, signed with the uh, second my second stint with the St. Louis Rams. Mm-hmm. I was in Macomb, Illinois, at training camp, and and I got a call from uh, got called in um, by Dick Vermeil, who by the way was was incredible that that year, mm-hmm. um, and he just said, "Hey, hey, Mark, I just want you to know we got, we got a call from your wife and." There's some concern. We're we're gonna get you on a plane. We're gonna get you back with your family. Um, I go. Well, what's going on? He goes. Well, your your son has a seizure, and we don't know exactly yet, or mm-hmm. they don't know exactly yet. But we just want you to know that we're here. You've got a place when you come back, and you know. Uh, I go. Okay. So I headed back, and so I get there, and uh, so I go up to ICU, and I see. You know, I mean, you, you're you know, you leave your uh, two year old son, you know, to go to training camp, and you come back and you're sitting up in ICU and there's, you know, there's tubes and mm-hmm. everything in and out of his, and I'm going, wait, I thought he had a seizure. I mean, is, is he going to be all right? Go, well, we don't know. He should be. Yeah. But we don't, we just don't know what, what caused the seizure. And they mm-hmm. want So then the next day they said, well, there, there's a, there's a, a growth in his frontal left lobe and mm-hmm. we're concerned about it. We're going to do a biopsy and let you know. So and Andrew's out next couple of days, he's out of the tube. My, Uncle came down from Canada, and you know, because my dad passed, so he kind of, you know, was like, "I just, I just need to be, you know, with you, Uncle Al." And so he mm-hmm. came down, and and you know, we had some, uh, some, some good tears, and you know, just, uh, just, I just need some kind of support, support, you know, because I'm, I'm a, I'm a tough guy when it comes to a lot of things, you know, and mm-hmm. and I, I kind of keep my thoughts to myself, and I don't really express myself, you know, as much as I probably should have mm-hmm. or need to, even up to this day, you know, about uh, his passing, but. He, um, so he was there and then we left and came back home. So we were just kind of now waiting for the uh, biopsy to come in. And so, uh, matter of fact, Dave Henley, who was a, um, anesthesiologist and he read, read a radiologist, read, read the x-rays was there. And he, he was the one along with Dr. Um, uh, Dr. Jamakis. Mm. And he's probably one of the best neurologists here in, in Spokane. Mm-hmm. And him and Jeff Larson were um, working together as a tandem to uh, treat Andrew. And I found that there was a growth in the frontal lobe, and it was cancerous. It was called a PNET, which is a uh, primitive neuroectodermal tumor, which is very rare in a child. And Mm -hmm. their plan and and what they had set out was to extract the tumor and um, start with a uh, chemotherapy. And said, okay, well, this is, we got a battle ahead of us, and let's just... So my wife and I were, um, you know, just going to 
kind of take the kids and see you know where this can take us now because we had our we lived in St. Louis they had a Barnes Jewish Children's Hospital and they did not have a children's hospital yet in Spokane we thought it'd be you know we thought it was a, a good idea to keep the kids in the school they're at in St. Louis so we all went back there and start the program this his protocol Andrew's protocol in Barnes Jewish Hospital around other kids and it was great it was awesome now the one thing that Barnes Jewish was interestingly enough different in their oncology protocol is that theirs was not as aggressive as the one that Dr. Uh, Frank Reynolds and Dr. Judy Falkenhauer and their group was doing in Spokane so we used the the group uh, what was it they were using in Spokane in Barnes Jewish oh yeah, so it was kind of kind of cool that they did it together. We, um, you know, went through all this chemo treatment there during the year. I played the whole year. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't play much. Tony Banks played most of the season, but I came in played. But every you know every day that I could when Andy was in the hospital. One thing about children is they're very resilient. Mm-hmm. Their blood counts come back a lot sooner than adults. You mm-hmm. know, so when he was uh, a neutropenic, when his blood counts were low, they'd give him. Um, medication that got his blood counts back up and then he could be back home so he wasn't in the hospital that much but for the three chemo three chemo uh, events that he had you know he lost his hair so I cut my hair which was kind of kind of fun and cute until it I was out in the swimming pool with him and the kids had burnt my head and (laughs) it started blistering you know it was crazy Um, and then uh, so he you know he bounced back from these chemo treatments and so we had the last one. It was just before Christmas. I played the last game. The kids, uh, Annette and the kids came back to Spokane mm-hmm. with Dr. Judy and Dr. Frank Reynolds, and they did their uh, his last treatment at uh, Deaconess Hospital here mm-hmm. in town. And um, afterwards, they were just going to kind of say, okay, what we'll do is we'll wait a couple weeks and we'll take another MRI. Mm-hmm. So sure enough, they took another MRI. The MRI came back, and, and they, there was still some growth there. And but they had a plan. We had a backup plan. If there was growth, what they do is they go back into the tumor bed. They remove the remainder. So kind of kept it at bay, but it start, It was looks like it was going to come back. So, mm-hmm. And then they planted radiation seeds. Because the reason they couldn't radiate early on is a child's brain is not fully grown yeah. until they're, you know, myelinated until they're like five, six, seven, eight years old, maybe even later. So... We come back and, and um, put the radiation seeds in. They have like 65 days of capacity, you know, to to uh, see what happens. Mm-hmm. It took its its toll. Two weeks after those 65 days, we got an MRI. There was nothing. Mm-hmm. So we're thinking, wow, maybe this is it. This yeah. is a, a blessing. And sure enough, uh, he was like any other kid. Matter of fact, he was hasn't hadn't even reached three yet. And we think to ourselves. Why, how is this kid who's gone through all this, how is he so coordinated, athletic, and mm-hmm. doing all these things? Because he was just like any other three-year-old kid, just running around and just being a kid, like nothing mm-hmm. happened. You know, they're so resilient. And then um, in just a couple weeks into June, had another episode. He had another uh, seizure. And we're thinking, oh, no. So we go in. We get the uh, music a couple days later from Dr. Demacus, and he said, uh, and Dr. Judy, um, Mark, you know, I, I, we'll do whatever we can, but the tumors come back and it's come back, you know, twice the size of the original one. And, um, it's, 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 it's your guys' decision what you want to do. And we should ask them what, you know, what, what, what they think would happen, what might happen. And they say, well, to put him through anymore, um, I, I don't know. This is a very, this is one we just don't have a, a grip on yet. Mm-hmm. So we said, well, 
I think we're just going to um, make sure he's around family for how long he's going to be here. We didn't know the the uh, the time time limits. We also asked Dr. Judy. I said, "What are we looking for? I mean, is, is he going to have an event that could be, you know, very traumatic to the, the kids, to us, to him?" She says, "I I don't know. Mm. I don't know." So on uh, the the morning of August twenty second, um, I remember remember it vividly for. That the time that he was diagnosed till the time that he, he, he died, he s- slept in the bed between Nett and I the whole time. And he was like any other kid. He started to get a little bit of a, of a, like a bell, Bell's palsy, you know, lost mm-hmm. some feeling in his lip. And, and, um, but he was still <laughs> amazing what he still could do all the way to that last day that is, uh, his last breath. And remember the, him in the bed that, that morning, it's about two in the morning on August 22nd, and our dog comes up to our bed. And I'm just going, oh, Gabby, what, what? And so I'm thinking, all right, he's got to go to the bathroom. Let's go, Gabby. Take Gabby outside. The dogs have a sixth sense or whatever anyway. So I take Gabby outside. And, oh, go to the bathroom, please. Just go to the bathroom. I want to go back to bed. Mm. He wouldn't, he wouldn't, just looked at me. The dog is a golden retriever. Beautiful. Just looked at me. So I said, okay, come back in. I come back in. And, and my wife was um, already sitting up and, she said, uh, he's gone. I said, yeah, I know. I took him outside. Thinking, I was thinking she was asking me about the dog. And she goes, no, no, Andrew's gone. You know, he's, uh, and I go, oh, no, no, no. I remember grabbing him, and he was, you know, kind of cold. And, and um, you know, just hugging him and just kind of screaming, not screaming, but just like, you know, panicking. And really just, just then it, it kind of hit me. And um, so I took him outside and running around the neighborhood with him. And and uh, Annette's brother, Keith, came over. And Keith was, uh, uh, he was a paramedic and firefighter. And he says, Mark, we got we to gotta take him. And I go, no, you can't take him. He's, 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 he's going to be okay, isn't he? He says, no, he's not going to be okay. So that was, you know, kind of uh, a situation where you, you know, if you have kids and you look at, you think about your kids, you know, it's, you wouldn't, wor- you wouldn't wish this even on your worst enemy, never mind someone you love. And so it, um, <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was tough. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, I'd have to say the, uh, the years after, uh, they do get easier. They do get a little better. Yeah. And the opportunity and, and chance to, uh, honor Andrew and help others, um, along with the help of my, my good, my buddy at the time, Randy Bronner, to uh, start a foundation to to uh, honor Andrew and, and help others and kids and their families that are going through this because it's, um, like I say, it was a, it was a whirlwind. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry that I'm, I have a You have myself, kids. That's <laughs> why you have children. So everyone that you, you're human. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, well, what was life like after that? Like, was it just... Well, I mean, you know, I, I would have to, you know, to say that I, I, I'm, I'm not actually kind of sure. I mean, you talk about CTE and you talk yeah. about, uh, you know, depression. You talk about um, the loss of a child and you throw all those factors in there. And you, yeah. uh, I just I just kind of spiraled, spiraled downhill. I had an, um, a very addictive behavior mm-hmm. that was something that uh, I've 
I've been dealing with and have dealt with and um, and always be yeah. dealing with. But it uh, definitely got you know worse as um, after after Andrew died after my divorce. Mm. Uh, it was it was a dark hole that I was spiraling down, and I just um, to anyone out there you know that is, has gone through. First of all, and I mean, I'm, I think I, I deal with seasonal affective disorder anyway, just because of where we live, you know, we don't see the sun, <laughs> right. a lot of the sun when it comes to October. Yeah. And then you throw in some other curveballs, you know, a few hits in the head and the loss of a child and loss of your marriage. And, you know, you kind of wonder, you know, uh, have you hit rock bottom or no, you know, then you hit rock bottom and, and then you just start fighting your way back. You know, you, you, mm-hmm. you, you, you um, address these addictions and you address these behaviors and you learn that, um, Hey, you're not alone. There's a lot of people that, that have, have, have gone through difficult times and tough times and that you have wonderful people in your corner. And that's the thing that you can't just be alone, you know, in, mm-hmm. in isolation and thinking that, um, you know, you're you're going to be okay. Yeah, reach out and get some help, and I and I did. I'm fortunate. I'm I'm very very blessed for the some of the people that have come and are still coming to uh, to help out. Yeah, I mean, and obviously through all that, you mean you've suffered th- suffered from anxiety, depression. Like how what like what was the moment that you realized that you needed to to get the help? and you know address like your mental health uh hard to say i mean you're you know because you're in denial first i mean you're 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 doing things that is giving you a you know some some dopamine and giving you a a feeling good about yourself and then you're asking yourself to take that away you know Mm -hmm. so i think you're you're in denial that you have a problem and soon and then you start looking around at who you're affecting, you know, your kids, your your loved ones, your your family, and the people that matter in your life. And um, you come to realization, I think it's probably 2012 or 13 that I, you know, say I I, I need help. I'm gonna throw I'm gonna throw my hands up and and ask for help. And um, you know, we're we're not this on the on the on the surface inside. You know, we think we're tough and we're we can do anything without any help, but you know, the, the bottom line is, uh, through your, your weakest moments, you're the strongest when you do ask for that help and you, um, and you become a, um, not, I wouldn't say necessarily an advocate. You become, um, you allow yourself to heal. Yeah. And, And that's kind of, uh, kind of where I will, be going from here and yeah. continue to to grow in in that part of yeah. uh, of who I am. Well, you you talk a lot. You've talked about like not being silent about it and how important it is to to talk about your mental health. And and I mean, I, you say you're not an advocate, but you are an advocate for well. mental health. <laughs> and when for you know learning about yourself and speaking out against speaking up about if you have depression, anxiety. Um, I mean. And especially with CTE, like awareness, like, can you speak on that? Like in organizations you've teamed up with? Yeah, I think, um, I think one of the things is, is when you, you do kind of put yourself out there and you become vulnerable mm-hmm. to, you know, whatever your issues are, whatever my, you know, addictions were, whatever my mental health status was. And you, and, and you start sharing that. There's a, there's a part of you feels really good because you know that so many people, 
or respect and 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 honor and tell you how wonderful it is to hear that mm-hmm. and that they could start their healing process. Yeah. And in the same breath, I think you're you're also like, God, I just shared with the world the things that I you know I've been hiding and and now that I do feel like a a, a bit of a on an island, you know, with mm-hmm. okay, I, I've done this. People are telling me how great it was and the set and the other. And then you're thinking, well, now you feel a little bit, now you get depressed because you've done it, mm. you know, and then you, um, but I think that as I, as I venture into deeper being, being that person that wants to help others and, mm-hmm. and, and help my brain and, and help my uh, mental health and such that there are so many people out there this this past year for sure mm-hmm. with um you know with covid and I, I i just think that it is super cool to have people in your circle and people in your arena that are walking with you not so that you you, you don't feel alone like mm-hmm. you've just shared to the world something mm-hmm. very personal and very vulnerable and that you have others that now are walking with you and care about not only your better half, but others better half. And, and together you can, you can change a lot of things and you can, I, I, I actually think you can change the world and in, in a way, if you, if we get people on that same, that same page. Absolutely. I mean, I think it's so important to have a team behind you and to, to, to share that with and help, help you through it. And so I think that's, that is definitely a, well, I think, you know, like, and, and having, and having, uh, a podcast, you know, where we're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about great things we're doing, and, and mm. but also we're going to talk about things that are real, yeah. things that uh, you know we're not going to shy away from, and and we're also going to be able to affect and help others in yeah. in doing so. So I've uh, I'm very excited. I'm excited to uh, to take this next journey, yeah, and not have to be alone in this next journey, <laughs> and be able to walk this with um, people that I love, people that I care about, people that mean a lot to me and yeah. and uh, are, are going to be there with me. Yeah, so, I mean, moving forward on MVP Talks, you mean you're going to be having conversations with men and women that are, you know, the playmakers and game changers in their in their arena. Uh, what do you hope our, our listeners, your listeners, get from these conversations? Well, I hope they get a, a, a few things. I mean, one... Um, the awareness that, you know, these are real stories. These are great stories. These are things maybe some people have never heard, mm. either in the sporting world, the business world, in the mental health world. And um, and, and in doing so, we're going to have some laughs over too. Um, my, my good dear friend, uh, Dr. Heidi Hanna, has made me aware of what laughter does. Mm. to the soul mm-hmm. to the to the individual and i think that um the more we can we can share that laughter and be able to express ourselves through laughter and through joy um i think is where the ultimate uh, ultimate healing comes from yeah well i'm well i for one am excited to help you produce this and uh i, I cannot cannot wait to share it with the world so i, I thank you mark for wanting to start a podcast and for sharing all these stories and sharing your heart with us. And I, I, this is going to be an amazing experience. So Brennan, thank you. You're, you're a good man. 
appreciate that. I, so. You're a good man because you, you run. God, <laughs> that's one of the things I I wish I didn't have so much extra beef on because <laughs> I you know there's times I wanted to run <laughs> and uh, it's uh, it's great. I think this is going to be awesome, and I appreciate all you're going to do to help help make this work. Awesome. So. All right. Cheers. Fucking a right. <laughs> Awesome. Thank you hear you. that, Heidi? Fucking A.